welcome to CXWise, where we share wisdom, insights, stories, and expertise from the world of customer experience. I'm your host, Nathan Bennett, and you're about to hear real-world experiences and practical advice that will elevate your CX game, no matter your title, your industry. So, without further ado, let's get wise. My guest today is Annette Franz. Annette is an accomplished author, a renowned CX influencer. She's been in the business for over 30 years. She has authored two books, countless articles and blogs, and most importantly, she is a mother of two. Annette, welcome, and thank you so much for taking time with us. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. This is going to be a great conversation, and I love I the title so. of the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We're going to get CX wiser. We're going to get wiser. Uh, so <laughs> my first question is, we know fans of you, and I am one, are very familiar with your two hit books, Customer Understanding and Built to Win, very well. But what they may not know is that your first book was actually written when you were about seven or eight years old old. So I'm yes. wondering, what was that book about? And when will we be able to purchase it on Amazon? <laughs> you know, I haven't thought about that book in a while now. And now I'm trying to think of the character's name and it just escaped me. But I remember writing it. I was a kid and I was like, mom, I'm, dad, I'm going to write this book. I think I actually stitched it together with string. Now I'm actually dating myself because back in the day, there used to be kids books that were stitched together. The binding was the string. Binding, so yeah. Yeah. And it was just a story about the life of this kid. And it was actually a boy. It wasn't even a girl. It was a boy growing up. And I grew up on a farm in Ohio. So that was incorporated into the story as well. I don't remember the title. And I've like have the, the kid's name on the tip of my tongue, but I can't, can't. Okay. Listen, if yep. my child came up to me and was like, Hey, I wrote a book and I bound it myself and I illustrated it. I'd be like, yeah. you're amazing. You're going to be a best-selling author, just like Annette Franz one day. It you know what? My, my oldest son actually did write a book. He wrote Two. I know he's going to start a third one, but he, he did. He wrote two books and it was in protest of when they deemed Pluto was oh not a planet, right? It's a nice. story about the, the fight to get Pluto to be recognized as a planet again. And they're like 200 page books, right? I mean, my book was like 12 pages. He did the <laughs> 200 pages. So there you go. That so. is so cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, now we all have something to aspire to and exactly. we have a new book that we all have to go out and find. Yeah. So one of the things that I always ask our guests is for their definition of customer experience, just so we're all on the same page. So how does Annette Franz define customer experience? Yeah, I love that. I, I agree. We do all need to be on the same page and I don't think we always are, right? So when I talk about what it is, I always like to talk about what it is not. So I define customer experience as the sum of all the interactions that a customer has with a brand over the life of that relationship with the brand. And probably most importantly, the feelings, the emotions, and the perceptions that they have about those interactions. And when I say we have to define what it is not, it's not customer service, customer success, customer marketing, it's customer satisfaction. It is none of those. It is sort of the umbrella of all of those. But um, I love how Chris Zane from Zane Cycles defines or differentiates between customer experience and customer service. Because I think those are the two that get confused most often or used interchangeably most often. He says, service is what happens when the experience breaks down. And that really means that we've got to design, be proactive about designing the experience for customers so that we take some of that load off of uh, customer service. So when we talk about the sum of every interaction that a customer has with that brand, I mean, 
we think about every bit of every single touch point that I can have with a brand. Let's say it's Delta Airlines. I'm interacting with them on social platforms. I'm interacting with them on the app on my phone. I'm interacting with them at the gate, um, inside of the plane, all of those things, all encompassing the experience that I have and then forming the, um, opinion that I have about that brand because of all those touch points. Exactly. Yep. It just seems like there's so many touch points that brands need to keep track of nowadays. It's not just about that face-to-face service. Yeah. Thousands, you know, some clients want me to do a touch point map. And when we do that Mm -hmm. touch point map, which is very different from a journey map, the touch point map is really just looking at each stage in the life cycle and looking at all the ways that customers touch the brand and the brand touches the customers. And it's things you don't even think about. When the airline example, we're talking tickets, we're talking kiosks, we're talking the people, we're talking the communications, we're talking the emails, we're talking hundreds of thousands of touch points, literally across advertising, radio, all, all of those components that come into play that connect me to the brand or that the brand connects with me on. And so we really have to think about those. And by the way, a survey, the survey is a touch point yeah. too. And so we have to make sure all of those touch points are executed well. We need to understand what are the key moments of truth. If there's one we don't execute well on, um, is that a make or break point for the customer? And it could well be. So, so really important. And it's a great point that you make that there are a lot of touch points. Hmm. Uh, speaking of touch points and, and uh, ways in which things affect us, I know you grew up on a farm in Ohio, and I'm wondering how the growing up on the farm kind of shaped you to become the person you are today. I mean, you're an author, you're a motivator, you're a keynote speaker, um, you're a, a CEO and founder. How did those experiences shape you from that farm? And then what do you bring to your day-to-day career now that originated on that farm? I think it's a work ethic. And by the way, I'm German, so I have that going for me too (laughs) when it comes to work ethic. But I think it's a work ethic. It's a discipline. It's knowing that there's somebody out there that needs you and there's no slacking, right? You know, if you grow up on a farm and you've got animals, you've got to get up, you've got to do your chores, you've got to take care of things in the barn. You've got to do all those things. And at the same time you're out there, you're planting, you're bailing, you're plowing, you're doing all those things, all, all, all things that I did. Right. And so I think there's, there's a discipline that comes with it. I think it's also, this is a fun one. It's also negotiating, negotiating with my parents on, if I do this now, can I go there later? Kind of thing. So <laughs> It's empathy and caring too. You know, I, one of the fun stories from when I was uh, growing up was during lambing season, uh, there are plenty of times when my parents would call the principal and say, hey, we need Annette to come home. The mama has died and we need somebody to take care of the lambs. You know, those kinds of things. And for me, I have a real love for animals. I actually wanted to become a veterinarian. I did. So it's not in my (laughs) career path thought process, you know, 30, 40 years ago. But I think caring is a big thing too. I don't know necessarily that there's a clear translation from caring about your animals to caring about your customers, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but let's go. It's got to be in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's too far way. off. <laughs> I, I'm, I I'm sure that you've worked with probably some pretty stubborn animals. I know oh. I've worked with some stubborn customers. There's maybe yeah. something there. I don't know. Yeah. yeah I did. Um, I actually did because we had horses too. So I actually did write about one of my horses was very much barn sour. Like I'd go out hmm. riding and we'd get halfway down the trail and he'd turn around and run back the other way. And the post was something about how do we get customers to come back? You know, I just sort Mm. of 
related those two things. But yeah, there are a lot of great stories that certainly could translate to what we do today. You said barn sour. I've never heard that term barn before. Sour. What does that mean? Barn sour basically in, in simplest terms just means that they don't want to go out. They want to stay home. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to call him an introvert. Hey, he's an introvert. He just wanted to stay home. <laughs> I've been barn sour a couple of times myself, for sure. For sure. So how did you get from farm love of animals um, to wanting to be a vet? And now you're one of the faces on the Mount Rushmore of customer experience. <laughs> Talk to me about your first kind of customer facing job. What did that look like? Were you a teenager? Were you in college, out of college? How did that begin? Yeah. And what did you learn from that experience? Obviously, I worked on the farm. But when I turned 16, I got a job at a retail store uh, in the town that was closest to us and worked there. And actually, during college, I came home and I worked there during the summer and, and winter breaks as well. And so um, that that was my first experience. I don't think at that age, <laughs> at 16, I really thought about, but I, but you do, you start to see, because you're there, you're answering questions for customers, you're taking care of the customers. We goofed around a lot, I will say that, but there was the taking care of customers, finding the things that they need. You know, I was a checker. I was, did the whole thing throughout the store. And so I don't know that that drove me to do what I'm doing today at all. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, I wanted to be a veterinarian. And so after three years at Ohio State and, and realizing that I needed to have six quarters of chemistry to get into vet school oh <laughs> and chemistry was my kryptonite. So <laughs> I was like, mm, maybe it's time to rethink this whole thing. And it was back in the mid eighties. You know, I was looking for a job. I finished school at Cal State University and then opened up the newspaper and there was this, you know, ad for JD Power and Associates. And I thought, gosh, I love to write and I love math. And market research is all about math and writing and the rest is history, you know? And I think that I, I fell in love with this work pretty immediately. You know, people would, that elevator pitch, what do you do? And I would say, I work with businesses to improve the business, improve what they're doing so that customers have a, a better experience. And we didn't talk about experience back then. We talked about satisfaction and loyalty. Mm -hmm. And so it was really about how do we drive customer satisfaction and loyalty? Well, you've worked with just a variety of different organizations, almost countless. Uh, I'm wondering from your perspective, when you go into these businesses and you start consulting with them, what are some of the most common misconceptions that you've seen when it comes to customer experience? And how do you make sure that those businesses um, approach customer experience in a way that's really effective? And, and yeah. how do you measure that effectiveness? I know I just asked you like six questions right in a row. I was just going to say, there are a lot of questions. Let me start with the Let's first one. Let's start off by, uh, yeah, common misconceptions uh, when you go into a business. What are they misunderstanding? Yeah. And I have a great example just from this week. Um, I had someone reach out to me and say, and the first first one is something we already talked about. Customer experience is not customer service, right? And I had somebody reach out to me and say, hey, I'm looking for a customer service consultant. I need somebody to do customer service training. And this was not the first time somebody had reached out to me with that particular request. And I was like, okay, hang on a second. Let's just step back for a minute and understand what we're really looking for here. Because... Uh, as we got deeper into the conversation and I educated her a little bit on the difference between customer experience and customer service, she was like, yeah, I see what you're saying. And we got into, you can do all the customer service training you want, but if you don't have the bigger picture, if you don't have the foundation in place, if you don't have the culture, one that's a customer centric culture, one that's putting the customer front and center, um, and you don't have leadership that's really on board with what you're doing, but all they've said is, 
we need better customer service. I think that's a real big problem and a real big misconception because you can have people who are in the contact center who are taking care of your customers. But if everybody else in the organization is not doing that, they're really creating problems for your call center, right? And I said earlier, you have to step back and look at the big picture. And if you look at the big picture and you just understand the customer and you design the experience based on their needs, expectations, problems they're trying to solve, you're going to take a huge load off of your contact center because you're already thinking about the customer upstream and really designing the experience, that, which includes the product, the price, everything to meet and, and to customers' expectations and to serve them. And so I think that's one big misconception. I think another one is, and that's tied into that, is that customer experience is what happens at the front line, but customer experience is your back office too, right? Your back office right. is... Back there, they're designing, they're supporting, they're facilitating a lot of the things that your frontline is doing or, or that customers are experiencing. And they may never touch a customer face-to-face. And so I think that's a big misconception. And another one is customer experience. If we just throw some technology at it, that fixes it, right? And technology is really just a tool that supports and facilitates the the experience that customers are having. And so customer experience is very much a people thing, not a technology thing. I think a human thing. Exactly. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I think another one is, and speaking of human thing, not making that connection between the employee experience and the customer experience. I I have that conversation so many times with leadership teams, and I don't know how many countless times I've been in in meetings with them and they're sitting next to me and they'll go, Oh, thank you for saying that. I I never even thought about that. And it's like, Wow, <laughs> who delivers that? Who, who designs and delivers? Who who builds, sells, supports, services, implements, trains? Who does all that? Your employees. That's where the experience is going to come from. So I think those are probably some of the uh, big ones. And how do you go in and implement these changes and then measure the success of those changes in a business that you're yeah. consulting with? What are some of those metrics that you look to? Yeah. And, and that's a great question. So I, I tend to start with interviewing because people will come to me and tell me that this is my problem, right? X, I need to solve for X. And I go in and I'm like, okay, well, let's take a step back and let's look at what what the bigger picture is and let me get an assessment. And typically it's more than X, mm-hmm. <laughs> it might be X plus Y plus Z, right? So I go in and I'll do interviews with the executive team, interviews with some of the employees and then some customers as well to get a better understanding. And like I said, it's usually more than X. And so once I get done with those interviews and I put together a summary and recommendations and what the roadmap is going to look like, the next conversation is, What's the catalyst for doing this? What are the pain points? How are we going to measure this? Or what are your KPIs that you're measuring right now? But what we'll do is we'll go down and we'll sit down and say, what does success look like after we're done with this work? What are the KPIs that you've been looking at as your outcomes? Are those still important to you or are they aligned with the work that we're about to do? So we'll sit down and we'll look at that. And it differs by business. I will say that a lot. it's a lot of times it's customer lifetime value, it's satisfaction, it's customer effort score. It's, you know, we want to reduce the effort. So it's an easier um, experience or, or transaction for our customers. 
a lot of times it's retention. Retention is a big one. I think so many companies look at acquisition, but I, but I try to shift that thinking to look at also retention and have a little bit more of a balance there when you're looking at those metrics. And I think the other thing is to have a conversation with the CFO and find out what's important to the CFO and always make sure that we link the work that we're doing to desired outcomes and the metrics that the executive is really attached to and <laughs> maybe recommend one or two others that might be more customer friendly or customer driven. Right. And and one of the things that I love that you touched on is the emphasis on employee experience. And I know that that's a huge focus that you have. I'm thinking about specifically in the contact center or care center. How can we better protect and support the mental mm -hmm. health of those individuals? That is a tough job yeah. can be really, really challenging. And yeah. beyond giving them the right tools, the right training, empowering them to um, make uh, customer centric decisions for themselves, how can we support their mental health? Because it's really, really yeah. challenging. And I think that's an area that gets overlooked sometimes. Yeah, I think as leaders, we have to care. We have to mm -hmm. care. And I think that doesn't happen enough. It's, you know, the employees are the cogs in the wheel <laughs> for the business success. And we forget that there's, like we mentioned earlier, humans involved in this equation. Mm -hmm. And I think that really taking the time to get to know your employees, take the time to understand your employees. And I don't mean surveys. I mean, sitting down with them one-on-one -on -one and having those conversations, right? I think there are too many leaders who don't. I remember when I was in the corporate world, before I started my own business, I, I was having one-on-ones with my employees. I mean, I, there were times when I had 25 or 30 people reporting to me, but that was my number one charge for the week was to have my one-on-ones every week with my staff and really understand. And I cared for them. And if you go back and talk to some of the folks that were, were um, on my team, they would say that that is probably one of the things that they liked about me being their leaders because I took the time to do that. And I got to know them on a personal level. It's not just about what are you working on today and how's it going and how many calls did you take and how many this or how many that, right? Or how long did it take? None of that. Those one-on-ones for me always started with how are you doing? How are you feeling? And just really caring about them as a person. Um, see, I was a mom long before I was a mom. <laughs> 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 um, that just hit me. But I think that's really what it takes to know and understand your employees at that level and listen for the cues that things are going sideways, right? And then help them to work through them. So for example, both my sons work for the same restaurant and my oldest son is a manager there and he was going through some hard times because, sorry for lack of a better, it's a shit show. Yeah. <laughs> it just is. And he comes home and he tells me and I'm like, oh, please let me go. Let me go in and talk to your manager. Let me go and consult with him. But his general manager actually gave him two weeks off paid because he saw that, you know what, things are crumbling very quickly here and he needs a break from all this. And those are the kinds of cues that you've got to look for. That's why you've got to have these one-on-ones on a regular basis and then help your employees walk through it, whether it is take some time off for yourself. And his manager was like, don't even look at your phone. Do not respond to any text. Do not go into our app and look at anything there. Stay away from it and just give your brain a break. And even said, don't talk to your brother about work because you know, he's bringing it home too, kind of thing. So those are the kinds of things. If you're having those conversations with your employees on a regular basis and getting to know them on a personal level, deeper than just what are you working on today? I think that's going to be your first step to helping them 
it's a recognizing it and then be helping them. We talk a lot about Starbucks on this podcast, because I think in a lot of ways in their history, at least they've done customer experience, right? And also I used yeah. to work for a Starbucks for a lot of years. And I recently read that the new CEO of Starbucks, as he travels around to different stores, he's committed to spending an afternoon or some dedicated time actually behind the bar and making drinks. And I, I like that thought. That's great. I've also heard some folks say, make him clean the bathrooms as well, yeah. which I think is also interesting because in every store that I ever ran, I would always make sure that everybody knew that I was cleaning the bathrooms and then my um, shift leaders and my uh, assistant managers and stuff, we all had a hand in cleaning those bathrooms. It was our yeah. responsibility, but it's a good point. And I wonder if it might be a good idea for some CEOs, some leadership, some CFOs to spend some time in the seats of their call centers. And um, really performing that task and understanding the impact yeah. that uh, those customer interactions have with their employees. Yeah, absolutely. You know, undercover bosses is, is not overrated, mm -hmm. right? To right. get your executives out there and working the work, doing, dealing with coworkers, dealing with customers, dealing with cleaning the toilet, whatever it is, it is not overrated, I just have to mm -hmm. say. And I, I, I'll add that. Speaking of in the contact center, when I worked for Fidelity Investments years ago, um, we would go to the contact center and do what they call double jacking, right? So we'd sit and we'd listen to um, the agents as they talk to uh, yeah. customers on their calls and stuff. And it's really eye-opening. It's really eye-opening from a couple of different perspectives, right? It's eye-opening in terms of what customers are saying and asking for and those kinds of things. But it's also eye-opening when you watch the employee work. And, and for me, it was... You know, when you call uh, customer service and, and they're constantly going, oh, my computer's so slow. Hang on a second. My computer's down. Okay, this or that. Well, guess what? <laughs> They've got 15 screens open trying to find the answer to your question and trying to find who you are and what you're doing and why you're doing it, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, that's why their computer is slow. They're either begging for a few minutes just to kind of catch up or the computer really is slow because they've got all these screens open that are just bogging them down. So that was really eye-opening for me because I was like, I never realized that that's what they're doing to actually help customers. And so I would recommend it for everybody. What do you recommend uh, brands instill in their employees when it comes to actually dealing with a dissatisfied customer or an irate customer? Uh, I know like me, you've probably had some dissatisfaction with a brand or a product and you've had to speak to somebody about yeah. that. And I always pay attention to how my complaint or my concern is being addressed. Yeah. And I also make sure that I approach it respectfully. Um, yeah. But I'm wondering what advice you'll give uh, a brand to say, hey, think about your response in this way. Yeah. So a couple of things. So I always say not every customer can be satisfied, right? Mm -hmm. Not it's just how it is, but they are the customer. They're not always right, but we need to still listen to them and choose to be kind and not take it personally. I actually just gave that advice to somebody the other day. I'm like, don't take this personally. This is your customer, they have an issue, just fix it for them. Mm -hmm. um, drop the script. I think that's a big one. I had an issue yep. yesterday with a company and the guy was like, that's our policy. That's just our policy. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So not even a smidge of flexibility on that policy. Nope. Yeah. Drop the script and let them interact with the person in front of them in a way that is appropriate for the conversation that's being had. So I think 
that's a big thing. If we empower them, if we give them a little bit more freedom to just take care of the situation rather than banging on them, that this is the policy, this is the script, this is how we always do things and we never do things outside of this. I think that's a big thing. But I think that's the biggest way to handle it, to just empower them to be able to take care of the customer in front of them. Regardless of what the situation is, let them have a little bit of freedom to handle the situation how they would. You know, it's funny because what happens to us as humans as we cross the threshold into the office of our employers, right? Over here on this side of the door, <laughs> we're kind, happy people. Over here on this side of the door, we hate the person on the other end of the line and we just want to make their life miserable and we hate our jobs and that kind of thing. And so everything is miserable. So I think it's really important that we have this culture where we put people first. And ultimately, again, that means also empowering your employees to do what's right for each other and for their customers. Speaking of power, talk to me about the relationship or things that you have taken from your time as an amateur competitive bodybuilder. Oh and how, you've, <laughs> how do you apply that to customer experience? What are the similarities and where do those worlds intersect? You dug deep into the archives, didn't you? We always dig deep, Matt. We always dig deep. I think the biggest thing coming from that really is discipline. I really do. I mean, maybe that's a common theme throughout my life. Same thing happened growing up on a farm, but I think it is that. I think it's the discipline and knowing what to do when you got to do it. You know, when you're competing, you're on a schedule, there's a process, there's all of these things and the discipline to stick with it. The, the crazy thing about bodybuilding is very much a me sport. So you are not going to translate any sort of team winnings or team effort or team anything from bodybuilding. But fortunately, I was in other sports in, in my younger days. So I've definitely got that team spirit going. But yeah, bodybuilding is very much a me uh, type of thing. But I think the discipline to do what needs to be done to achieve the outcomes that you want to achieve, I think that's the big translation there. Yeah. And, you know, there's community there too. There's hyper-focus on a goal. Um, yeah. The work it takes to put in, like, I don't know anything about any of that, but <laughs> I, I cannot <laughs> imagine. Discipline, that, right? I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. You got to put in the work. You got to, the diet, the everything. Uh, your most recent book, uh, Built to Win, Designing a Customer-Centric Culture that Drives Value for the Business. Um, very successful book. Uh, very well done. I'm wondering... What was the big problem in the field of customer experience that you set out to address with that book? What was the problem that you wanted to provide insight or um, uh, a solve for the readers of that book? I think there's two things. The first one is culture. I think people think that they can go out and do the work that they need to do to improve the experience, but don't tie it back to how important it is to have that foundation so that it gets done the same way across the organization. We talk about that seamless, consistent experience from channel to channel, from department to department department. If just one person over here in this corner of the business is, is focusing on the customer and, and working to improve the customer experience, that's great, but it's great for that point in time. It's great for that touch point. It's great for the customer when they're interacting with that group, but it's not great for the customer interacting with the brand. And so culture, culture is really the foundation for the type of business that you want to have. I had this whole graphic where it's, you know, culture is this, which drives 
this for the employee and it becomes the precursor for a great employee experience as well. And so when employees are cared for and it's a culture of, I call it customer centric, but it really is people centric because a customer centric culture puts the employee more first. And so it's a precursor to a great employee experience, which drives the customer experience, which drives the business outcome. So that was the one first thing that I wanted to get across. And I'll tell you, I've talked people out of doing some of the work that they wanted to do because I'm like, do you have the foundation in place? If we finish this work, whether it's journey mapping or it's designing these surveys and getting feedback, do you have the culture in place to do something with it? Are you going to get the budget to move on to the next step and actually improve the experience and do all all of these other things that you have to do after you do this work. And so I've talked people out of it because they're like, no, I don't. And I'm like, well, it's going to fall flat, right? It will fall flat. Um, the other thing is um, getting a real clear definition out there of what it means to be customer centric. I kept hearing customer centric team, customer centric leader, customer centric message. When we think about customer centric, it's the DNA. The customer is a DNA that flows through the organization. It's not just a department or it's one part of the organization or a message or one person. It's everything you do, right? And so I think that's really important for people to know what it means to be customer-centric and what it takes to be customer-centric, which is the 10 principles I've talked about in the book. I'm glad you brought up culture because there's one thing I wanted to ask you to unpack a little bit because I thought it was so nice. It should be like on a t-shirt or on a bumper (laughs) sticker. You said culture is the shadow of the leader. I think that's so cool and so profound. Can you unpack that a little bit when we talk about culture? Yeah, it's really interesting. And I wish I was the one who said that, right? I wish that was. I'm attributing it to you. I don't care what anybody else. (laughs) I love it. That's that's an Annette Franz original as far as I'm concerned. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So culture is really how we do things around here, why we do things around here, right? I, I say culture is driven from the top from the CEO down. And then there's this grassroots groundswell, like we get it now. We understand what the culture is because this is how our leaders act. This is how they talk. This is what they're doing. This is what they prioritize. This is what they're measuring. So we get it. We get what we need to do. So then there's this grassroots groundswell of that. And so I think that's a really important part. And and there's this other quote out there about you get the culture that you design or the one you allow. And so I think it's so important that the leaders design it the way that it's meant to be, right? Again, say, act, measure, prioritize the things that are important to you in building this customer-centric culture. And so that's why the leader is the shadow of the culture, because culture really follows what the leader is saying. I worked with a client where there was this fear of recourse because the CEO was very much, well, if you don't do it this way, or if we don't do it that way, you're going to get fired. That was really hard really horrible and really hard to see that we fixed it but that's what the culture was because that's how he was you know it's boom 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 and everybody was like well shoot if i don't do that then i'm going to get fired and so there was constantly there were murmurs and rumors and people stabbing each other in the back and it was just really ugly and it was that way because the ceo was the way that he was and so that's not unique to this one client that i worked with i've seen it in other organizations so that's how the culture really is the shadow of that leader and that you talked about designing that culture. I think you tweeted that data is at the heart of designing and delivering a great connected customer experience. Yep. What kind of data are you talking about and what sort of insights do you get from that data to design the experience? 
So when I talk about data, there's a couple of different things that I look at. In my first book, Customer Understanding, I talk about the three ways that you can achieve customer understanding. You listen, you characterize, and you empathize. So listen is about the different ways that we listen to customers and get their feedback, but it's also about the breadcrumbs of data that they leave behind when they interact and transact with the brand that characterizes your personas. You're doing the research, you're interviewing customers, you're really taking the time to understand who they are and, and needs, pain points, problems to solve. And then empathize is journey mapping. And, and all three of those together provide you with a lot of data, but it has to be contextually relevant. When we're designing and delivering that great experience, it has to be contextually relevant data. So it's knowing who the customer is, where they are in the journey, what what their needs are at that point, right? So right person, right place, right time, right yeah. format, right? All of that to be able to deliver the experience that they're expecting at that point. And because personalization and hyper-personalization have become such hot topics right now. Customers have these expectations that we're going to use that data to get them to where they need to do to make the next best actions and give them recommendations on where to go so that they can achieve what it is that they're trying to achieve. So really important. But I think the big thing there is that it's got to be contextually relevant. It can't just be any data. I love it. Uh, Annette, I could spend another hour with you. I know we need to wrap things up. Thank you so much for your time. I do want to say to all of our listeners out there, what we love to do is share our guests' opinions and their thought leadership as best we can. And one of the ways that we like to do that is if you are listening to this podcast and there's something that was really meaningful that you got from it, put it up on your social tag us with hashtag CXYs, and we will send you a copy of Built to Win, Designing a Customer-Centric Culture that Drives Value for the Business. Annette, this is a great uh, topic. You are um, an amazing practitioner, an example for us all. And thank you so much for making us a little CX wiser. Thanks, Annette. Nice. Thank you. Thanks for having me.